Welcome to We Grow California with your hosts, Darcy Villery and Darcy Burke, a safe place where we discuss water, agriculture, and everything that makes California grow. We have guests from those who just drink water to those that make water policy, all passionate about the water issues that face all Californians today. Join the conversation by liking, subscribing, and visiting our website, wegrowcalifornia.com. Let's get the conversation started. Well, Darcy, today is the day. We have been waiting for this guest for quite a while. I know we have teased our audience for the last couple of episodes that he was coming. And it is my esteemed honor to welcome Congressman John Duarte into the studio today. And just to give our listeners a little background, because Congressman, we have both urban ag listeners from not only across the state, but from across the country. Congressman Duarte is a fourth-generation farmer, businessman, Valley native who proudly calls Modesto, California home. Currently, Congressman Duarte is serving his first term in the 118th Congress as representative of California's 13th District. He and his wife, Alexandra, have run a farming operation of vineyards and orchards together in the Central Valley since 1989. John and Alexandra are also the parents of four wonderful children, and they are proudly have raised them in the Central Valley's public school system. Congressman Doherty holds key subcommittee assignments across three committees, reflecting his diverse interests and expertise. Within the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, he serves as the vice chair of the subcommittee on highway and transit. He serves on the subcommittee on railroads, pipelines, and hazardous materials, and is a member of the very important subcommittee on water resources, focusing on water management and related infrastructure projects. On the House Natural Resources Committee, he contributes to the Subcommittee on Water, Wildlife, and Fisheries. In addition, he serves on the Subcommittee on Energy and Mineral Resources. Well, you're a busy guy, Congressman Duarte. So welcome in. We're so glad to have you. Yes, thank you, Darcy. And Darcy, great to be with the Darcys today. Um, and it's a real, real pleasure to be on your show. So let's jump in. I, I've got three three committees and eight subcommittees to talk about, plus other other natural resource and, and economic issues we're interested in. Well, we definitely, you know, in this podcast, our big thing is California water. And I know in, in any number of those committees, you're dealing with California water and, and California ag has been big in the news uh, stories the last few years. And we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the water for California legislation that uh, you're a part of in Congress and why it's important and, and where is it in the process right now? Sure. So this is David Valadeo's bill and David Valadeo is a congressman just south of me here in the Central Valley. So we have very similar districts, very similar interests. And David and I work a lot together on many things. Um, the Water for California Act is just common sense water policy that needs to be put into action here in California. We are choosing to have water scarcity in agriculture. We're choosing to have water scarcity that limits job growth in the industry. We're choosing to have water scarcity in California that makes housing expensive. We can't build housing to meet demand and bring down the high cost of housing until we have the water resources to support those new neighborhoods. And so water scarcity is driving housing scarcity, is driving food scarcity and inflation in many, many ways. And we can go on about that. So the Water for California Act simplifies permitting for new dam construction, new reservoir construction. Uh, we have some excellent opportunities to increase water storage in California. The um, National Environmental Policy Act, and then surrounding that, you've got um, Clean Water Act, you've got um, ESA, and a whole, whole host of, we're very familiar with now, regulatory programs that just stop progress um, when it comes to building water resources. And it's very sad because it's these activist groups that bungle up our ability to provide the most basic resources for California, do it in the name of endangered species. They're killing endangered species. 
the, we've flushed our water resources out the Delta for decades. We haven't restored the salmon. We haven't restored the smelt. Yeah, we talk a lot on the podcast about how we need, at the end of the day, more infrastructure to be able to meet all the demands of the state, you know, and, and holding that up is just going to kill everything. Yeah, we're destroying irrigated landscapes. Irrigated landscapes have enormous habitat value, and we're destroying them. Same thing in the forests. We can increase our watershed runoff in the forests simply by practicing sustainable forestry, logging, thinning, grazing, all the things that provide economic benefits from the forest also increase the health of the forest, increase the habitat value of the forest, and increase the watershed value from the forest. And reduce the risk of wildfire. Enormously. I mean, if you care about CO2, the forest fires we've seen in the last decade um, are, are going up geometrically from where they were historically. It's not global warming. It's simply bad forest management that has left these forests to overgrow. So there's a lot we can do. And the Water for California Act is just, you know, looking at the biological opinions, um, making sure they they benefit species um, that they're trying to save if they're going to impact so many other factors in our environment um, in terms of the water we're flowing out to the ocean because of them. On infrastructure, California's got a $3.6 trillion annual economy. It's, it's a fifth largest economy in the world. So if you use $36 billion as kind of a easy math number to say we could spend that on water infrastructure and our water infrastructure up to date and and provide what true water abundance for all of california industry agriculture habitat new home building that would be one percent of one year's gdp to do that we could pay for that very easily in economic growth alone very quickly we had 30 billion dollars in unemployment fraud just during COVID. we're going to yep. spend 28 billion dollars on the useless, senseless bullet train that will never move anybody economically. And um, we're raising resources there. So we could have the water infrastructure with reasonable, sound environmental policy and economically. It's very financially economic to put the water abundance back into California the way it was originally designed with the, the California Water Act. So, and that's what that's what the Valadeo book, bill does. We've seen this before with California's political climate. Any piece of legislation, sometimes that passes to help us, the state and these special interest groups you you spoke about, Congressman. You know, they they put roadblocks. And so, how do we anticipate this piece of legislation? I'm going to say positively when it passes. How are we going to be able to implement it with with these types of roadblocks that have stopped the raising of Shasta? And we could go on and on about the projects that it's it's really cut out at the knees. Well, we've we've had some really good strides in the in the debt ceiling negotiations. Kevin McCarthy and his negotiators were able to get in some basic NEPA reform into the debt ceiling negotiations. It was actually fairly robust NEPA reform. And so we're very thankful for that. We think that's going to move the ball a bit. But we're starting to see, in some cases, some of the Democrats moving a bit on these resource issues. The evidence we have in the forest fires and the catastrophes up in the forest is, is self-evident. It's glaring. Obviously, the policies that are in place today are failing miserably in every respect. Um, also in water, I think it's really important that we continue to speak of water infrastructure in terms of its affordability and in terms of its impact on industry and home prices, housing costs. Every Californian today is spending at least $1,000 extra in either rent or their mortgage bill because we haven't provided water infrastructure to support the housing growth to meet demand. And when, when supply doesn't meet demand, 
we have exorbitant costs. And that's what we have in energy. That's what we have in food. That's what we have particularly in housing here in California. And I think it's important that working families understand that. You know, and I, I sit on an urban water board and we have been dealing with affordability for strongly, actively for the last 10 years, finding ways to help disadvantaged communities uh, offset. You know, in, in California, we are handcuffed by Prop 218, how we can move money from one side to the other to help those less fortunate pay for their water bill. On average, in my division, a family four pays almost $200 a month for water and wastewater services. And to your point about landscaping, they've made those hard choices. They have taken out their lawns. They have put in low flow, high efficient fixtures. And the price of water is not getting any less expensive. Um, just because you lose use less doesn't mean it's going to cost less. And so, irrigation landscape have enormous habitat value. The birds and the bees. We don't want to zero escape California. We have the water resources at hand. We can have lawns. We can have soccer fields. We can have trees in our yards. Um, and, and do that sustainably and have a better environment for it for just a fraction of what we're flushing out the, the Delta. And there's a lot of evidence, you know, a lot of the water that goes out the Delta is pretended to be habitat water for salmon or smelt. There's reports out now, there's huge algal blooms happening offshore in San Francisco. There's 33 municipalities around the Delta that aren't fully treating their sewer water. And we're using our freshwater resources that could be improving lives, improving habitat throughout California to simply flush the Delta because it's being used for a toilet. Well, that, and that's been a long simmering issue in the state, hasn't it? In the sense that I think I know a lot of other fellow farmers who complain about cities not treating their wastewater and that we end up just fighting over how the algal blooms and 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 things are, are happening out there and people assume that it's us, even though I know, for instance, in our water district, I don't discharge basically anything anywhere. I never, nothing I do gets to the river. Nothing I do goes out anywhere. And, and it's, it's increasing like that, as far as I know, across the state. So to that end, in order to get everybody on the same page, have, have you been able to, have you done anything with the governor's office or state agencies to, to move forward on water reliability because of how important a topic it is, you know, in the state? On the, at the state level, we haven't done a lot yet. We've got these two, Water for, the, the Water for California Act and the FISH Act that Ken Calvert is putting through. The FISH Act simply says, let's let fish and wildlife govern the, the restoration water flows for the smelt and for the salmon. Right now, that's governed by um, NIMPS in the Commerce Department which have no concern for, for inland habitats. So you've got one group, try, one agency trying to save the salmon with no regard for the irrigated landscapes and other habitat impacts inside California. We wanna change the way that's done. The other thing we've been doing that's had some success recently is channel flow. You know, we had a lot of flooding here in California last year. It could have been much worse. Thankfully, we had a, a fairly mild spring and summer temperature wise. And the, the snow melts has come gradually and it's been manageable for the most part throughout spring and summer. Well, we've got the, the governor now has extended his executive order that will let us dredge the, um, the channel flow out to the ocean to make sure the water can move from the mountains to the ocean when there's excesses of it. Now, this obviously has implications for flood years like we have now. But actually jumping in and working with the Army Corps of Engineers, who we've met with several times, and the, um, the state regulatory agencies, we can, we can go into a categorical, categorical exemption now and get these flow channels dredged here in the late summer, early fall, before the rains hit again. When we do that, it changes the flood control capacities 
of the entire state. And that means at Don Pedro, Shasta, Corning, a lot of the big uh, dams up and down the Sierra Nevadas, we can actually hold less flood control headspace in those dams over winter because when the rain hits the ground, we know we can get rid of that water faster. It changes our flood control calculus. So we think between sustainable forestry, um, changing the flow capacities of our drainage channels, we can increase our, our actual yieldable water by about a million acre feet or better. This actually gives me a chance to chime in and say that I don't think people fully appreciate that a lot of the dam storage in the state, if I remember correctly, is governed by, you know, numbers that were set 20, 30, 40 years ago, and that every year, regardless of the weather, this is how it has to be set. So things like you're talking about and other better projections that they're working, that I know with new science they're working on to do is needs to happen to get get everybody safer when it comes to flood control and also still be able to hold on to, to water longer for the for use by, you know, the industry, people, and, and the environment. And the big pieces of that, of that, Darcy, are A, healthy forests. Let the flow, the snow hit the ground and melt more predictably like it did in the past. Then B, get the channel flow in place. Make sure the channel flow capacity is there. So when you have flooding, get rid of the water. We talked about that. Then there's science. Let's use LIDAR snow sensing equipment like we did here in my home area, Modesto Turlock, a few years ago, and make sure we have a very accurate, up-to-date read on the snowpack, how fast it's melting, how much is up there. We've used LIDAR and we've already, that technology is there. We just need it adopted statewide by the Army Corps of Engineers and the Bureau of Reclamation. Then the, the, the newest technology to come along now is drones that fly into these atmospheric rivers and actually give us much better um, near-term precipitation modeling on where the rain's going to hit and how much as they as they hit the shore. This can allow us to make make better plans in terms of how to capture some of this this rain that inundates us, move it into groundwater recharge programs, move it on farm to leach soils and re, and um, um, ag agronomically enhance the soils, leach the salts out. So we can do a lot with some of these um, atmospheric rivers and floodwaters if we can predict them more accurately. And we're using technology and pushing for the agencies to adopt use of that technology much more so than they've used it in the past. You know, I saw a presentation on that last week by um, the gentleman that's running it at Scripps University here down in San Diego. And really his ability to forecast and give you, instead of days or, you know, hours really, five days warning at this is when it's going to come, this is where it's going to hit, and this is the amount of moisture in that atmospheric river. And I think some of the modeling he did this year and the pilot testing he did proved, as you said, Congressman, the science works. So yes. applying that, he was very hopeful that there would be some federal funding to expand that that program. I know the water agencies in Southern California were very interested in, in how we might sign on as a pilot to to make sure that the science works. You know, you, you mentioned being able to predict, move the water, make sure we are avoiding flood paths and zones and communities. In Southern California, we can't move all the water we have. We have, we call it a 100% plus allotment this year. The infrastructure was built in the 60s and 70s. The capacity is at the top. It has not been maintained. You know, Southern California has been very good about investing in our own. We have Diamond Valley Lake Reservoir that 
the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California and our customers paid for without any state or federal financing. But we need help moving the water. Once we get here, we have places to put it. I, I know we need more places to put it. You had mentioned all the things that we should have been building in the 1957 bulletin number three. They mentioned everything that we should have built the last 60 years, right? So you're you're spot on, Congressman. You're, you're preaching to the choir here, and we're really glad you're, that you're sharing your thoughts. And on that atmospheric river technology, let, let us know. We've got the, um, the farm bills coming up. There's a lot of appropriations bills. I'd love to work on getting these technologies implemented. Um, and, and if we have some agencies that are just ready to expand it, they've proven it, let's make sure we get the resources where they need to be. It doesn't sound that expensive. It sounds pretty, pretty realistic. And, and you're right. See, I grew up in Chula Vista. I grew up down there right near Sweetwater Reservoir, which at the time it was built was, uh, was one of the largest, tallest reservoir dams in, in California. So I'm going to jump to the farm bill because you brought it up. So, Congressman, you know, I don't think urban users understand the importance of the farm bill. Uh, Darcy mentioned it a minute ago about food security, but there's so much more to the farm bill that we should be just as concerned as as your constituents are. Absolutely. The farm bill has a huge nutrition section, about 80% of the farm bill appropriations. And first of all, the farm bill is a fairly small part of the US government, but it has such an enormous impact on working families and food affordability and nutrition um, access for, for many, many Americans, including maybe not a majority of our children, but a very, very large share of our, our children in America rely on a affordable food in their family households, but also this supplemental nutrition program, and the school lunch program. The Farm Bill always used to be a, a very constructive compromise between the, the urban nutrition needs and the rural farming interests. Well, in the last Congress, the nutrition section of the Farm Bill was made mandatory spending. So the discretionary part of the Farm Bill now is all the ag programs. Oh, that's not okay. <laughs> and it really changes our partnership and how the Farm Bill can get reauthorized. Now, we did in the, in the debt ceiling negotiations get a work requirement. So those who are, who are on nutritional assistance, supplemental nutritional assistance, um, our, our chairman, G.T. Thompson, is an excellent, excellent chairman. He's kind of like a, a great coach, and he hates the, hates the term food stamps, so we, we avoid it. Um, but nutritional programs, um, now people on, on the nutritional assistance program, we under 55, you have access to the job training program side of that. And, and they try and get you back in the workforce where you can do better than you can on government programs. But in the farm bill, there's a, a couple things that we're going to be fighting over. Um, we're trying to keep the ESG, DEI side of the, of the Biden agenda out of this year's farm bill. There's a lot of push to get vague sustainability requirements that don't have a definition so we can't safely accept them. I mean, we've seen in the Clean Water Act how very, very clear lines have been driven over. Um, in the last decades, the Supreme Court just cleaned that up with Sackett decision. Well, if we give the, the agency vague, um, vague powers to pursue sustainability, DEI, governance, equity, we don't know what they're going to come back with. Because where we've drawn dark, thick, black lines in terms of authority and jurisdiction, they've trampled them over decades. So we have to be very careful in this farm bill to protect and limit government power over farming. We need our efficient, abundant food system. We can't afford the farm bill, to let the farm bill threaten that. So I'll leave that alone. We, we need to move a lot of our farm security programs from disaster relief to a broader use of crop insurance. 
and I'm, I'm promoting that if farmers are willing to, to insure up to a higher level than 50%, insure 70 or 80% of their farm um, crops in a farm crop insurance buy-up, that we then have a whole farm revenue guarantee. If you have crop losses, in addition to black swan events, COVID, um, 9-11, all of these things over the decades, it seems to be about one a decade, that really destroy our markets for, for a part of the time. Um, we'll get those farmers back up with a 60% reve- whole farm revenue insurance, whether it's crop disaster relief or it's just economic um, disruptions. We'll keep these farm families in business and keep them rolling. Another thing we're doing that's a, a priority for me is the Gates Act on um, the farm bill. I'm, I'm co-sponsoring it with Jimmy Panetta, a Democrat out of the Bay Area. I'm very, very happy to work with Jimmy. He's a good guy. And the Gates Act makes the conservation programs accessible to all farmers who have 75% or more of their income from ag, from farming or other ag-related enterprises. And that means large farmers can do recharge basins. Large farmers can do infrastructure projects that access surface water when it's available like this year. Large farmers can work participate in the Conservation Reserve Program and, and other conservation programs that so far large family farms have been shut out of because there's a, an income limit that makes no sense. And so that's another way. Um, I'm working on increasing the market access for motion money. You know, the, the administration we have today just isn't doing much at all to, to access foreign markets for our farm production. The market access promotion puts money in the hands of industry groups so they can go to India and China and promote almonds, or they can go to Mexico and Canada and promote American dairy products. We want the market access promotion monies kicked up to kind of backfill some of the failures this administration's had and the lack of attention to market development for our ag products. And, and we think that's very, very important. And then I, I can go on and on. This is a big part of my <laughs> uh, my office is, is centered around the farm bill. And, you know, we want to get a cottonwood fixed. Many, many foresters understand what that is, meaning that new discoveries in or pretended discoveries in endangered um, science don't affect timber harvest plans that are underway and have already been invested in bank financed and and um, relied upon, we will we will apply any new endangered species information to subsequent t- timber harvest plans and let the loggers, truckers, and rural communities move forward in a more reliable way than they have been. Well, if you have lots to talk about, we can always have you back to have, if you have lots more to say. <laughs> it's it's a safe space. <laughs> well, thank you, Darcy. And, and Darcy, I, I really enjoy being on your podcast with you. It sounds like you guys are very tuned into many of these issues that affect rural California, our housing, our food supply, um, our irrigated landscapes and habitats throughout the state. These are important things, and we need to rebalance towards them so that working families have a fair shot to balance their books, get better jobs, and, and enjoy a growing economy, even here in California. It's possible. It is possible. A little common sense goes a long way, doesn't it? Um, I, I do have one other question for you that actually came from one of our listeners. Um, you know, it's it's only August in 2023, but there's an election next year. So what's your outlook in the next race? Well, I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I think I'm serving my constituency. I vote the valley. I'm a moderate Republican. I'm, I'm not tied up in any of the uh, ideological wings of either party. And so, you know, I'm a I'm a centrist and I'm looking for bipartisan efforts to get things done that matter to my constituents. So. I'm feeling good about my race. I think this is going to be a very close race here in America. People ask me, why did you run for Congress? You're a farmer, you're a businessman. Simply to stop socialism. I really believe that we need to pursue abundance versus scarcity. 
We need to pursue opportunity versus dependence. We need to get the rants and raves out of our politics and go back to appreciating and respecting our constitutional democracy over some of these hysterias that have kind of beset the nation. Those are all priorities I have that I believe stop socialism and get America back on the track that provides abundance and opportunity, uh, individual choice, um, self-agency. We need to choose agency over identity. We need to choose the family over government power. And, and these, are, these are the reasons I ran. Um, and I think that, that this race upcoming next year is going to be a dialogue about those things. We're going to get off this whole conservative, liberal, socialist, um, extreme argument. We're going to quit talking about as much about the parties. We're going to start talking about the real value systems that make America unique. And I think we're going to win a lot of races. Well, we have really enjoyed having you today. Darcy, you have any final words? No, I don't. Just thanks for coming on, Congressman. We really appreciated uh, you making time for us. Absolutely. Let's do it again. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to a We Grow California podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or would be interested in being a guest, please check out our website, wegrowcalifornia.com. Sound and audio engineering provided by postandjam.com. <laughs>